You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Well, he's not Peter, he's Simon. He says, Simon, what you're seeing is something that God is revealing, all right? And, and here's where I got to take it slow because he says, you did not learn this from any human being. And then he goes on to say, which is really the key scripture I want to get. He says, I, you know, because you are able to see something from the spiritual realm down here about who I am and everything, he says, that is going to make you solid. That is going to make you solid. Here, let me give you a side sermon real quick. When you're lost in decision-making, and when you're lost in a confusion time in your life, the best thing you can do is, God, God, help me with this one. And he will show you some things. That one, I won't charge you for that one. That one's free. But that's what's happening here. When you're lost, all you got to do is say, God. And then get really still and quiet, and you'll find, you might not find the whole answer to everything, but you'll find the next step. Isn't that true? You'll just find maybe one step, and you know, it's, nothing's fixed, but God will give you one step. And when you do that one step, he'll give you the next one, and so forth and so on. So, Let's get back to where we've got to go. Now I say you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock. Now pay attention, because he is not saying, I'm going to build a church on Peter. And this is where our Catholic brothers and sisters kind of, you know, have a different idea. I'm not saying they're wrong or right. I'm just saying they believe this means that Peter was the first pope. Which causes a lot of issues currently, since Peter was married. Anyway, I'll just throw that out there. I'm just saying, you know, he was married. He did have a mother-in-law, and he actually liked her. And Jesus prayed for her. We know all that. So Peter is not the founder of the Catholic Church. Sorry to break your bubble, but he's not. He's just saying, because you get to move, you're understanding revelation knowledge, that's going to make you solid. That's all he said. Peter, you're anointed to hear from God. You are solid as a rock. But then he takes the same idea... But the rock is not Peter. <laughs> the rock is the fact that you get revelation knowledge. You got that? So he says, upon this rock, what rock? That there is downloads coming from heaven to direct. I will build an ecclesia. He, you know, the word church, and, and we really got to hit this word because this word is not a good word. It was a, it was a bad translation, and we've used it, and we created a monster because we mis, misunderstood the translation. What do you mean a monster? I'll, I'll explain in a minute. Now I say to your Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the power of hell will not conquer it. So let me summarize just briefly, and then we're going to really break this idea about the church down. So what basically what he's saying says, a group of people, because ecclesia means an assembly. And I'm going to explain to you what ecclesia means. It's really different than what we understand as a church. He says, an assembly of people that move in unison, in revelation knowledge, hell can't stop them. That's basically it. 
And we get all kinds of hell, and you know it. And I'm not, I'm not cussing hell. I'm talking all kinds of trouble in our lives, all kinds of situations that we confront. It's called life, by the way. Say amen. You're not very... Somebody say, I'm just so special because I'm going through a lot of tribulation. No, the whole world's going through a lot of tribulation. You're not special because you're going through something. We're all going through something. Say amen. Go ahead and relax. We're all going through something. Might be minimal, but we're going through something. And God has the answer for all of it, right? So he says, this is how you control hell. Now... Let's break up this idea, because really the, the scope of it is I want you to leave this building this morning knowing what a church is. Because if you understand what a church is, then you'll understand what your part of it is. So the word that is used here is, is the word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia is, is a, it's not a, a religious word. It is not something that the, the church came up with. The ecclesia, and I'll, um, I don't know if I threw it up there, Arch, on the next slide. I think that kind of explains. Okay, so let's just, let, let me just break it down simple. So Ecclesia, is a, it's, it's a form of government that was established, more, more than government, it was a form of order in, for government that was established by the Greeks. And the Grecians used this, and then the Romans say, hey, this is a pretty good idea, so the Romans adopted it, and this was pretty much the way things worked throughout the Roman Empire. So the ecclesia, the organized assembly to make decisions, to exercise government, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place or an assembly. So let me explain to you why it's important. Because every Jewish ear that heard Jesus explain that scripture knew exactly what he was talking about. Exactly. There was no doubt. When he used the word ecclesia, they immediately understood what he was talking about. Now, the church today doesn't understand ecclesia because it's obvious. <laughs> We're infighting, we're divided, we're all over the map, you know. So, so really, the, the core of the message has gotten lost over 2,000 years of Christianity, you know, and we're doing the best we can with it. But the, the more you understand what it is on a personal level, it really, it's really going to help you. So this is where we're going. So the Ecclesia, let me, let me explain to you what it was. So the Greeks came up with this idea, let's just play with an idea like, you know, precincts. You would understand a precinct, like Hebronville has precincts, right? Um, so let's say there's a certain problem in that precinct. Let's just play, you know, today. There's a sewer problem. There's a drainage problem. Well, everybody from that precinct has to go to this meeting. You, can't, you cannot not go. Because everybody's voice is needed. And we're going to make a decision that's going to affect everybody. So we want everybody there. And they would, they would call the ecclesia. They say, all right, everybody, let's get together. And we're going to sit here till we figure this thing out. How are we going to fix our, our Plumbing or whatever, you know, whatever the case was, may be. And they would just sit there and sit there and sit there. And it was, you know, again, ladies, don't feel bad. It was just men. Because back then, of course, you know, Middle Eastern thing, you know. The problem, the problem back then is they didn't have Mexican women. Because if they had Mexican women, that would enough. They would have been all there. Okay, okay, I'm at the meeting. They would have been there. You know, you know how that works. But they were Middle Eastern women. So they just stayed home. But the point of the Ecclesia was, we are in here, you get this, guys, because this is the word Jesus used, and we're going to make a decision. Well, one of the cool things that I found that was such a cool type and shadow of when I studied this, and, uh, and this is kind of like a cool type and shadow, there's nothing spiritual about it, it was that one of the ways that people knew that you had been to the meeting because you had to go, they would put a rope and... I'm not sure because I don't know, you know, I read into it. I don't know how the access was, but they would rope them. But when you came in, part of the rope was, was, was um, stained with some kind of red ink. Plants, I'm sure, beet juice, something. And they would, everywhere they come in, they, would, they wouldn't hit you. They would just 
let you know, touch you, just make sure you know you had a red mark on you, that meant you were at the meeting. And if you didn't have a red mark on you, they were like, why weren't you at the meeting? Because if you weren't at the meeting, you don't get to complain why the sewer system didn't get fixed. Now you get it? They wanted everybody there to make decisions. So that form of government worked really good because it, it, it localized a lot of the major things which the major government didn't have to deal with. You know, the major government was dealing, you know, let, let's go kill Jews, while the minor government was, let's go fix the sewer, right? Because <laughs> that's how it was. Everything was about war. So the ecclesia was a form of localized government. And one of the things was that meeting would not be over till everybody was in agreement. You imagine that? Imagine, I mean, just trying to get 10 people in agreement is hard enough. Imagine trying to get 200 people in agreement, 500 people in agreement. You know, don't, you know, how big is your precinct? So they would sit there possibly for days. If one guy said, well, I don't agree with it, they'd have to convene and come back the next day till that one guy was convinced. And then the ecclesia would be released and everything is good. Why am I spending a lot of time with this? Because that is the word that Jesus used. And that changes everything. The reason we ended up with this, and I want to give just a quick little bit of history, and I'll be done because I know history bores most of you. But, you know, I find it fascinating. There is a mistranslation, maybe done on purpose, maybe it wasn't a mistranslation, and it goes back to a German word called, I can't pronounce it right, but it's called something like search, where we took the idea of church. So every time you see the word church in the New Testament, the word is ecclesia, but the word, the German word that was used in the translations that we have today does not mean ecclesia, it means this. So, and I think, to be honest with you, and, I, and I, trust me, when you study Bible history, you've got to study the history of the Bible also, and it's weird. I mean, this book, you know, this is, let me, let me go on a, on a side, quick side note, this book, I have to believe with all my heart <laughs> that God inspired it. Because the way it was put together is a mess. If you actually study, I'm not talking up to Jesus. I'm talking 300 years later when the church got organized. They edited and took out and because there's a thing. Kings were considered royalty. Not royalty. Kings were considered divine. So the kings had to tweak it. So I just got to believe that at the end of the day, God gave us what we need. Can you say amen? Because if you look at the history of, of how this was, was put together, it's like, you know, it's really strange. But my point of it is, I think, and I believe, and there's enough evidence to support, that when the translations were done on purpose, it was done to create this. Meaning, one guy, me, you sit down and listen, and I'm going to tell you what to do. But that was an ecclesia. Are you here? Now, we're working with what we got, okay? But that was an ecclesia. That was something else. That was more like temple worship. Temple worship was sit down, shut up, listen to the preacher. Right? Ecclesia wasn't like that. Ecclesia was, says, we are here assembled for a common goal. We are here assembled for a reason. Are you in or not? Well, I'm not. Step out. But if you're in, you're in. You know, and you have a voice. You don't just say, well, pastor said we got to do this. No, you have a voice. And I think, you know, uh, you know, I've tried. Maybe I've not done a good job, and I guess my leaders will either give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. But I've tried in my style of leadership 
to give each and every one of you your voice. I really have. Because I could say, no, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. And, that, and that is, that's, that's stupid because that's not how God did it. But there's some pastors that do that, right? They want to control everything. And what happens is when people get around the whole idea of the ecclesia, guess what happens? Fighting is over. A lot of stuff is over. Because the global, the goal of the ecclesia is greater than just your personal goals. Okay? Now let's keep going. Let's move on. I only have very few slides today. You know, this is not going to go real, real long, but I do want to make some points. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. It's up on the screen, but you can look it up in your Bible. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things, pay attention, for the benefit of the ecclesia. Again, the word church is mistranslated. For the benefit of the ecclesia. For the benefit of the assembly. Let's go back to that. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Pay attention to that last line. For the benefit of the ecclesia. So if you're part of the ecclesia, then you get the benefit of it. If you're not part of the ecclesia, then you don't get the benefit of it. This is not really deep, guys. What happens in a church when people embrace, not the church, not the sign, not the name, but the vision, you become part of that. Now, let me tell you, not everybody's called to this church. That's just a fact. Why? Because there's people that say, I like churches that are just so strong locally. And that's great. We need it. And this is one of the things that we're going to try to bring back into this church is our influence into this community. But that could be, you know, and a lot of churches are very about the community. No missions, no nothing. You know, very little, you know, they might throw a couple bucks to some mission program. But they're not obsessed like we are, like running on the Cuba and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, you could be in that church and you're like, I got fire for missions and your church, that church is not doing missions? That's not a bad church. That just means that's not your church. You get me? Because you are called... To an ecclesia, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill this point in. He says, Pastor, this is, no, you're going to see how, how, by the end of this message, you're going to see why this is important, and it should be important to you. So, you know, you can go to church and say, well, you know, I'm not, you know, there are pastor box, I talk about Cuba, and they're running around Ukraine, and Navajo Nation, and Mexico. Ah, you, know, you know, I love you, but this might not be your best church. Because if you have a problem with that, <laughs> then you're the problem. Because that's our mission. We love you. We're not, you know, we're not against you, but we can't change our mission because you're uncomfortable. Y'all with me? And I think that's where people get upset. Well, you know, I used to go to church, but, you know, and then they come up with all their little reasons why they stopped going to church. The reason they stopped going to church is they weren't part of the ecclesia. That's basically it. Because when you're part of it, you're part of it. It's like, you know, parents, can you, can you just stop being a parent? <laughs> Somebody like, I wish I could. Yeah, yeah, you don't get no, you can't take them back now. I mean, it's been 18 years. Are you kidding me? They're not going to give you a refund. You're just a parent. I mean, the baby showed up and he was wonderful before he started walking. You don't stop being a parent because, well, I just don't feel like having you today. I'm done with you. I'm just going to go find another kid that actually I like because you're my kid, but I don't like you. I know I'm being super sarcastic, but that's how people treat the church. When you're called, and I'm going to talk about that, 
this doesn't become, I go to church. This becomes, you eat it, you breathe it, but not in some weird cult way of thinking, because that's, that's the weird, okay? This is not a cult, guys. You can walk in and walk out of wherever. I, I mean, if you leave the church and I see you on the street, I'm still your friend. I have no issues with that. Most of you, that, you know, people that have left the church, they see me and they look like they look at poop. They're like, <gasps> I'm not God. You talk to God about what you're supposed to be doing. You know, I'm not, hey, I'm your friend. I don't really, my life is so complicated, I can't be worrying about yours. Amen. I'm here to deliver a message. It's up to you what you do with it. It really is. I'll do my job, you do yours. But here's the point. When you're called to something, you breathe it. In other words, it's not too far from your mind. It's not like, because, you know, there, there's different kinds of Christians, and don't feel bad. It's just levels of commitment. There's nothing inferior about you. There's people that love their Sunday morning. God bless you. And please keep loving it, and please keep coming. And that's your level of commitment? That's fine. But then when people begin to absorb the idea of what a church is, something happens in their spirit. And now it's not, oh, I go to Pastor Box, I go to Faithway. No, you, you are driven now by something inside of you, which is the Holy Spirit, and you find that, that, you know, you're not going to go on your own and try to change the world. So what do you do? You attach yourself to an assembly that is doing the same thing, pay attention now, that God told you to do. Amen? Because here's the thing about, about an ecclesia. There's, in the ecclesia, there's all kinds of functions, but the goal is the same. So we have to have that, that, that goal clear. So the church, now let's talk a little bit about, about this. So because I got very few scriptures, a lot of thoughts, but very few scriptures. Um, the church, verse 23, page 10 says, is his body. Stop. The church is his body. Now, don't raise your hand, but I, I can raise it for myself because it happens to me a lot of times. I feel I'm not qualified to this. I feel I'm not ready for this. I'm not feel I'm supposed, sometimes I don't feel I'm even supposed to be doing this. What are you talking about, Pastor? About this, this, you know, ministry. But I have to come back to that. Because that little thing right there, you know, the church is his body. Listen to me, young people, old people, all people. What part of your body you don't need? You know, I know bodies, they treat them like Mexicans working on cars. That's racist. No, yo soy mexicano, yo puedo decir chistes de los mexicanos, all right? Just in case some of the white people, oh my God, he's, he's racist. No, no, all right? Just spoke that native language so you could hear it. So when I work on a car, Freddie's already looking at me like, I, I know, Pastor, I know, I got you. There's stuff the car really doesn't need. They just added extra. You know that, right? You put the wheel back, and there's a few stuff. Well, your body's not like that. Some people say, well, you don't need your tonsils. Yes, you do. <laughs> they just left over. Pfft, rip them out. No, they're, they're, they're little filters. You know, you need them. Remember when the whole Caden thing, when he was little, they were trying to get his, to take his tonsils out. It was almost solid right now. Like, I talked to him. He said, I don't want it. He said, no, don't do it. He's perfectly fine. Still got his tonsils. Um, your appendix, I guess if it blows up, you've got to get rid of it. But, I mean, there's really nothing in your body that you're not supposed to have. Can you say amen? You know? So, once you understand that, and he says, I know this is a very simple point, but it's really deep because he says, this is his body. So, what part of the body you don't need? 
I'm just a little nail on the little toe on my left foot for Jesus. I don't think he really needs me. Wait till you run that thing into the corner of your wall when you're getting up to the bathroom and you forgot to turn the light on. You're going to find out how much that little toe can talk to you. It was, it was completely, you never thought about it for years till you stubbed that thing and broke the nail, fell off, and boy, you're like, oh, my little toe. You need it. And people that have had little toes amputated for whatever reason, they can't walk right. They got a little off because that little toe balances it. How many of you don't need your thumb? <laughs> Once your thumb's gone, it's going to be really hard to do a lot of stuff, right? My point is every part of your body is needed. So if, if and, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm bearing this is because we come to church, we listen to a preacher, and a lot of us feel like we're disqualified. Even after a good sermon, I could preach to you about grace. I could teach you about how awesome God is and, you know, the beautiful songs that they sang today. And, and I was just moved by, you know, just, when I worship, I think about the lyrics. You know, faithfulness and faith. I get that, I get emotional. And, you know, all this is moving and sometimes you sit there and say, wow, that's awesome for pastor. And yeah, H and Kathy. And you see all these people. No, you are needed. We cannot, if you are part, listen to this statement. If you think this is your, your assignment to the ecclesia, because the ecclesia is the global church. We're just assigned a little tiny piece of this ecclesia. We're not the ecclesia. We get our little portion of the ecclesia, which is whatever vision God gave this church. What we do in Cuba, so forth and so on. Well, here's the thing. Don't you ever, 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 ever feel that you're disqualified of that? Because the moment you came through those doors, you made a choice to say, I want to see what those people are about. And then, you know, the next moment you say, you know what? I kind of like what they're about. And then the next thing was a decision, hopefully, to say, you know what? I am in. And guess what doesn't matter? Your past. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Because that's what's holding everybody... I don't feel qualified to serve in children's church because, you know, my life is still not on 100%. Well, let me help you. Whose life here is at 100%? You need to stop looking at us like we're all hyper-holy people. We're just regular people just like you are, and we've got to navigate through this like everybody else does. We don't get a pass. We don't get an exemption. We don't get extra favor. If anything else, we get extra tax. <laughs> just because I... You know, the devil says, oh, yeah, you keep talking, I'll keep punching. I said, keep punching, devil, I'll keep talking. That's just how it works. We're all, we're all in the same place. And we all got hang-ups, and we all got issues, and we all need Jesus. And once you settle that, guess what? Now you're qualified. <laughs> you're qualified to do whatever God tells you to do, because you are part of his body. It doesn't matter if you consider yourself the tiniest piece of the body, you are part of his body. And one of the things that you learn, and, and the great analogy that Paul gave us in, I believe it was 1 Corinthians 12, and in, in that whole teaching about how the body works and how one part of the body doesn't fight with the other one. Ooh, it's going to get real here. You know? Imagine if your hand just didn't want to go to work today. Like, I'm not doing this, dude. You, just, you and right go, because left, we're not doing it. We're just going to hang today. You'd be really weird, you know, especially if you're Mexican, just talking with your right hand. You can't even use your left hand. You know? Why? Because he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to work today. Are you sick? No, he's fine. He just doesn't want to go to work. I know this is so stupid and, and lame, but here's the thing. That's what's happening in a church. Because for the ecclesia to function, we need everybody at their command. 
Well, I, I, I don't think I'm called to anything. Well, I'll tell you what you're called to for sure, for sure, for sure. You can be called to finance this thing. You don't want to go under missions? That's fine. Some of you, Cuba, I don't even want to leave Hebronville. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to go to Cuba. But can you pay for the gas? Ya se acabaron los amenes. This is not about money. I'm saying you are, you have a part. Maybe you are supposed to be in Cuba building the church. Maybe you are supposed to be, you know, like, you know, the ad came and said, serve in the nursery. I'll tell you one thing. If I was a church member, that's not me. You don't want me in the nursery. Because I love babies, but usually my family babies. Anyway, that's what I'm going to say. You know, because they cry and they whine and whatever. But there's people that are totally called to that. You don't want to put me there because you don't want a foot in the place of a head, right? I know this is dumb, but all this is really important because God, you remember what I told you, this scripture says right here? There's so much in here, you could just keep picking at it, but let, let me show you. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Okay, Christ is the head. He has made him the head over everything, but he says for, and everybody likes benefits, don't act like you don't, the benefit. And here's where people get upset. Well, Jesus, bless me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, prosper me. Jesus. Yeah, that's good. He can do that. But he's, he's more about doing it for the ecclesia than he is about you individually. You see what he's saying? Because he wants you active. So I've seen this. It's amazing. You know, and again, this is just experience. Nothing wrong, guys. If you need to talk to me, that's what we do. You know, hopefully most, I always tell people, most of your counseling will come from the Sunday morning. That's fine. But if you need extra counseling, call me. We'll set it up. I'll talk to you. I'll visit with you. Pray for you. That's fine. That's wonderful. Counseling is good. But here's the thing I've noticed. Talking about almost, you know, 28 years of ministry, active ministry, the people. And there was a time there was a lot of counseling when you have a lot of people, right? But the people that, that need the less counseling or ask you for the less counseling, guess who they are? All the people that serve. In some form of capacity. It's not that they're any better. What's happening is they're activating something. You see that? It's not that, oh, well, God loves them more because, no, no, they, they get extra credit because they're serving. No, 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 because it's not by works. There's nothing I can do just because I'm up here. Do you think God gives me a little extra grace? Just because I went to the Navajo Nation, I get a little extra. No, because I'm supposed to do what I'm called to do. But guess what? You're supposed to do what you're called to do. And if we can both do what we're called to do and we're not fighting about it and I'm not trying to take over your job and you're not trying to take over mine, guess what's going to happen? God's will will get done. And while it's getting done, your life, your personal life, because I know we're all about benefits, but it's, it's, it's another word, it's okay, just kind of sometimes works. And pretty soon you begin to balance, because I know it's tedious. Come every Sunday, you know, everything at this church is volunteer-based. You know, nobody's getting, you know, if we were a mega church, yeah, we could pay everybody, but, you know, so we got people serving, you know, running this church, tending to your kids. All these are people that are doing it for the love. <laughs> They're not doing it for money. They're just doing it for the love of God. But what is happening? If they believe that's their calling, then their part of the ecclesia is being resolved. He has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. So, you know, and again, this message is not, we're just trying to get people to serve. No, no, no. I'm trying to get you to relax. That's really what this message is about. Relax in your calling. Well, I don't even know what my calling is. Well, we'll get to that later. Maybe not today, but we'll, I'll give you 
you know, a few points to kind of direct you and where God wants you to serve or anything. But the thing is, you are part of it. And the sooner you resolve, what is my part of this? Then you begin to move in a different place. Not because you're special, not because you're better, but because God said there's a blessing on the ecclesia, ecclesia that's specific to the ecclesia. Now, God can bless you separate from the church. Right? And again, that's not a good idea. Some say, well, I don't need church. I got God. Well, then you're going to have to delete a bunch of scriptures because the Bible says don't forsake this. Don't stop coming to church. It's in the book of Hebrews. Go read it. So there's people, I know a lot of people say, well, I don't need church. You know, they, maybe they were hurt by church or whatever. Okay, get it, you know. But you do need a church. In your head, you don't. And God is still loves you. And God still blesses you. And God still can do a lot of things for you because he loves you beyond the church. Does that make sense? If you never came to church another day of your life, God doesn't love you any less. Say, Pastor, if you do that, everybody's going to leave. Fine, then I can retire. God can't love you less. And, and, we, and as pastors, we've got to be careful to say, you need to come to church, so make God happy. If you're not, if you're not in church, the devil's going to beat you down, and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And if we don't say it, we make it sound like it. Well, that is a bunch of garbage. Because God has, does not have the capacity to love you less, because he loved you so much, he gave you his son. Before church, before you're, you're over there lost to hell, and Jesus is hanging on the cross. What are you talking about, church? This came after that. So resolve that God can't love you less. But what he's trying to get you to move in is into this place of influence. And here's my final point. This place of purpose. I don't know if you know who Viktor Frankl is. I just like him. I mean, he's, no, he's not alive anymore, but this man and his writings have blessed me more than you can imagine. And I do recommend read all his stuff. And he's not necessarily, he was actually a Jewish. He was, he was in a prison camp, Nazi Germany. And somehow he survived. And he, he was in a death camp for most, most part of that time. And he was a very well-known um, psychiatrist, doctor, you know, college guy, very, very educated guy. Well, they threw him in there with all the other Jews, and he saw horrendous things, and, and he wrote many things. And he came out of that and then had a, you know, a career even after that. So Victor is just this really, he, he wrote some really profound things. I believe a lot of stuff directly from heaven. You know, because he was a devout Jew. But um, he wasn't a Christian, but he was a devout Jew. And he said this, and, and I found this very interesting in, in the theme of, that we're talking this morning. He says, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasures. Now let that sink in. Now he's writing this stuff from a prison camp. I mean, there, how many pleasures can there be, right? Well, he could see what the, what the, what the guards had become. He writes about how, how could these people become these animals that have no... You know, um, just I'm not going to take it. A lot of it's very graphic, very, very sad. But the point of that statement is very simple. You know, when, when a people don't have meaning, when you don't have meaning, the only other option you have is distraction. Because your brain and your psyche and the way you're wired has to have a reason to breathe. You agree with that? Now, I know that sounds very deep. But when you see somebody that all they do is scroll on Facebook and TikTok all day, and that, they have no meaning in their life. So their meaning in their life, they're finding it in the meaning of other people. Even if it's stupid, right? Oh, we're eating Thai pods. Huh, huh, huh. 
what's wrong with y'all, man? In our generation, we had other stuff that could kill us, but we would have never thought of eating a typhoid. Well, we didn't have any, anyway. But, you know, what are they doing? Well, that's not bad, Pastor. No, 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 that's not bad. But, it, but I see a lot of kids, a lot of young people, that's all, you know, that's it. And it's really, really sad because if, if you don't have meaning, then you have to stimulate yourself. So you go for drugs, you go for sex, you go for whatever distracts you for whatever obsessive hobby you have. And again, hobbies aren't bad and all these things aren't bad. They're bad when all that stuff in your life that you're piling in is to squelch or shut down. How can I word this, Lord, help me? Shut down that little part of your life that's crying out for meaning, crying out for purpose. Every human has this. A lot of people just ignore it, throw it away, and they never look at it. But every human is born with a sense of meaning. In other words, what is, this is too deep. You're too philosophical, Pastor. Okay, why do you wake up in the morning? What makes you want to go to work? What makes you want to do this? Why don't you just, everybody just go kill themselves right now? You know, well, I don't want to do that. No, no, that's ugly. That's pretty extreme. But there has to be a reason to get up in the morning. I mean, young people, you're going for your career. That's a good reason. I don't have to be hyper-spiritual. But there has to be a reason. And unless you find meaning in your life, then the only thing that's going to, is you're going to fill yourself with pleasure, whatever that is. You know, go shopping, spend money, whatever, whatever can distract you from the fact, because when you get back with yourself in your little quiet time and there's nobody else but you and you, then the deep sense of ugh comes on you because that sense is the part of you that says, hey, you're supposed to have meaning in life. And your day is over, and you went to the movies, and you went shopping, and you played video games, and you're on TikTok, and you're on everything. But now it's time to go to bed. So you're going to have to shut everything down. And in that little period, you'll sense, you'll have a sense of hopelessness somewhere. Like, wow. And you know, don't feel bad. This is, just human, this is just humanity. We all go through this. But then something happens. When you come to Jesus, first and foremost, it's about a relationship with him. Nothing else. But once that relationship kind of starts going, it could be day one. I remember when I got born again. And again, my experience is really different because I grew up in church. I grew up in Christianity. I went to Christian schools. So I had all this down. And then I said, you know what? This is too boring. 14 years of rock and roll or more. I don't know, however you count it. (laughs) But when I come back to God, my life is a total wreck. You know, I've wrecked my life on every possible thing I can wreck. The last thing that I'm about to wreck is my marriage because she's about to leave. And I come to God, and I give my life to God, and, you know, he gets all my messed up and fixes my life, and glory to Jesus. But I tell you, it wasn't a week. I'm over here trying to recover from this really messed up life. You would think, right, Jesus, feed me, help me, heal me. But it wasn't like that. I mean, that part was, was happening, and he was fixing. But at the same time as he was fixing, there was this burning desire. It came with getting born again. Again. <laughs> well, it means again, again. In other words, here I am trying to figure out, I still don't have a job. We're still trying to figure out how to make money. I got Jesus, thank God. You would think my whole focus would be, let's focus on the family. You know, you got your life back. You're not on drugs anymore. You know, you got your head back. It wasn't like that. Two weeks in, like I I shared a few weeks ago before I left, what Jeremiah says was happening to me. There's a fire in my bones. What is this? Two weeks in, I enrolled in Bible school. (laughs) And I didn't have money, so my dad paid for my school. Glory to Jesus. 
I mean, where is that coming from? I'm just trying to get my life together. And, and with my salvation, which I'm still a mess. I still got a lot of stuff to fix in my life. The calling came immediately. Well, let me put it this way. The calling never left. I left. Because when I was a kid going to Christian schools, I knew I was called. I figured I would go to Central America and get eaten by cannibals. That was my mission statement. Because that, that's what they taught you in Christian school, you know. You really would die for Jesus in the jungles, get eaten by cannibals. Okay. Um, but, you know, I had that calling in my life. So when I come back to Jesus, it wasn't 10 years. And this is where some of you are at. That's why I'm saying this. It wasn't 10 years for the calling to kick back in. It was a few days. Because, you know, you're disqualifying yourself by saying, well, you know, maybe I'm not ready. You, know, you, you were ready to say you, the moment you said Jesus come into my life. What we are saying as pastors and, and Christians, we have to be careful, is we are saying, okay, Jesus qualifies you, but we don't. Because according to Jesus, the day you say Jesus come into my life, according to Jesus, he forgets all your sins. Remembers your sins, right, Joe? Remembers your sins no more? It's done. But you bring it to church. No, church remembers all your sins. And you come to church all excited and we're like, well, let me check your Facebook first. Oh, you were partying last night. No, you can't serve. But after the party, I gave my life to Jesus. That doesn't matter. You see, we are the ones that are disqualifying people because we have a skewed idea of what holiness is. I don't know what I mean. And because of this point, I'm, 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 on, I'm on something right now. Y'all just go with me. Because of that one little point I'm mentioning, we, the church, we, the leaders, are disqualifying people. That God has already qualified. And that is not a good place to be. Amen? All right, give me the next one, Archie. We're almost done. There are four, well, five primary purposes for the church. Now, I talked about meaning. I know I left that hanging. We might pick it up next week. But I want to leave it because you say, well, well, what's my purpose in life, Pastor? Well, I don't know about your personal purpose, but I can tell you about the, your church purpose. Our purpose is really simple. We are called to save the lost. We are called to teach people what good is and what bad is. It's in the Bible. Not judge them. Not make judgments over them. Just simply say, this is what it's at. So when I'm talking about meaning and purpose... When I'm talking about calling, now I want you to bring it in the context of this. Because I'm saying, some of you, it doesn't matter your age, if you feel like, oh, I don't even want to go to church. Maybe they force you to come to church, whatever. Once you find this, your life really gets crazy in a good way. You know, I look at, I look at, our, uh, I look at the teams that, that are here this morning that have been with me since almost the beginning, Miriam, Araceli. And I know I've used this a few times of, you know, Angie and Yanis going to Cuba and all that. But I say... I remember when Medium walked into our house. That must have been when Medium in 1997, something like that. The furthest thing from my mind and the furthest thing from her mind was Cuba. Right? I mean, there was like no context. I mean, we're trying to survive in my little house with three people, and God's saying, "Oh, you'll be ministering to kids in Cuba." No, He didn't say that. First of all, if He would have told us that, we would have probably killed it with unbelief. <laughs> what I'm saying is. We were just in the plan. And you see these people that are traveling. You see these teams. I tell people, we send a team of ladies. Now, this, this year, there was, you know, what, uh, one, you know, it wasn't all ladies. But I remember last year, they were like, what do you mean you send them by yourself? Isn't Cuba dangerous? I said, no, it's not. I said, but I want to know one thing. I don't want to send people that aren't called. 
And those of you that have been on mission trips tell me the people are really easy to identify the ones that aren't supposed to be on that mission trip. <laughs> anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. But here's the bottom line. I'm going to try to finish this. Because these are, the, these are really the five reasons we exist. There's no other reason we exist as a church. Jesus came to establish an ecclesia. We are the ecclesia, and this is what we do. Number one, it's about worship. It's about coming together and honoring our God. Say amen. That's what you're doing here this morning. You're not here to hear a sermon. You're here to honor God. Hopefully God will speak to you through me. I mean, he spoke to me through the praise and worship. How many were blessed with the praise and worship? I mean, there, were just, I mean, there was an anointing on there, and I was, I was receiving all of it. So we are here, number one, number one reason, just to thank God for his goodness and for his mercy and that he's actually put up with us all these years. Say amen. But the next thing we need, we're here for fellowship. We need each other. I guess some of you don't need to know, but I don't need anybody in this room. Okay. We need each other because I can't do what I'm called to do without you. And guess what? You can't do what you're called to do without me. And we need family. Say amen. We live in a society, and I, boy, I could really major on, my, on Victor Frankl's quote, but I'm not going to do that right now. But we live in a society where there is really no, I mean, everything is moving into the great me. You know, the great, very narcissistic mentality. Everything is about me. I'm the center of my universe, and that's the culture that we live in. And real relationships are hard to find in those cultures. Because people that say are your friends, they are your friends till it's inconvenient to them. Come on, how many? Man, you're probably that kind of friend too. So don't know. Oh yeah, they did it to me. You probably did it to somebody else. Nothing wrong with that. But it's really hard to find real friends. The word friend gets thrown around. It's, it's, it's a covenant word. That's why it breaks my heart. Because I, I love covenant thinking and covenant ideas. But when you use the word friend, you know, when I say, I am a friend of God, that is a covenant song. It's not just like, oh, how cute, I'm God's friend. That's not, it was when God told Abraham, I, you are my friend, where we got that song, that was speaking, everything I have belongs to you, and everything you have belongs to me, and I'll take care of you to the end of the age. That's covenant, and fellowship in a church, when it is done right, is way different than fellowship in the world, because if you, and we're going to talk about this probably next week, when you go back into the, into the book of Acts, I don't have time today, I really wanted to, but just the very first few chapters of the book of Acts, you really get an insight to what the church was supposed to look like. And it's, a, it's absolutely ecclesia. It has nothing to do with this. You know, we created the builds, we created the little setups, we created all this, we created the stages and the bands playing. All, that, that's not in the Bible. Nothing wrong with that, I'm just saying. When you see that the fellowship was such a big part, and you're talking first century, when things were really, really bad, there's no hospitals, hospices, there's nothing. And if you didn't have money, you'd die in the street. You, you can afford your kids, you threw them out in the street. They became feral kids. That's the society Jesus was born in. So fellowship meant a whole different thing back then than it meant now. Because if you read the fellowship that happens in the book of Acts, everyone came to the ecclesia. The ones that had supported the ecclesia, and the ones that didn't got what they needed from the ecclesia. The welfare system was never designed to be the government's. The welfare system was designed by God, but not to keep people in welfare, to say, hey, this is, you know, come in, we'll take care of you at the front end, but we'll show you how to become prosperous. 
That was God's plan of the ecclesia. And if you read, we'll do it next week, but if you read the book of Acts, you say, you know, the widows would come, and it says, and that no one had need. Isn't that amazing? This was a moving organism. So fellowship is very important. You know, we have to have to the point, you know, again, don't raise your hand, but hopefully some of you have developed relationships in the church that are strong relationships. I'm not talking, you know, sometimes even, even pastoral relationships hard because sometimes it's, and I don't even live in Heavenville, so sometimes it's like, okay, yeah, pastor, you know, you're my pastor, I love you. But we're, we don't really have a relationship, right? Where it's not like, hey, let's go have coffee. But among you, you should have these relationships. Among you, among the ecclesia, you should have that one person that you can call and actually say, I need prayer for this, and they're not going to tell everybody in town. That kind of relationships, because those are really hard to find nowadays, but one of the places they can really be developed is in church when you find people that think the same way. So fellowship is a huge part because, you know, when, when I was in the world, I really didn't have any friends. Like real, real friends, I didn't have All the friends I had were party friends. Anybody? They were, your, they were your friends if you had some. I'm just saying my life. Maybe you have some awesome world friends. I know, all the friends I had, there's not one left in my life, and they, weren't, they were all gone the day I got saved because they, they were, none of them were real friends. But you know what has happened in my experience with Christianity? Not only have I, I have family now. <laughs> I have family. I'm not even using the word friends. I have family over years of development, ministry, and, and there are a handful. I'm not saying that I have thousands of them. I have, you know, I can count them with one hand. But I have people that God has put in my life over the last 30 years of my life that are so close. And, and you know what Jesus says, they're closer than a brother. That only happens in church. That doesn't happen in the world. I'm sure you can develop some of these relationships. But in the church, it's, it's normal because we all have the ecclesia, the focus of God's love. And I'm telling you people, if you don't have true friends and people you can confide in, start looking around. Here. Here. What do you mean here? People of like precious faith. People that can pray for you and not judge you. Come on. People that are going to pray for you without giving you a sermon on the front end. Amen. So you need fellowship. We need each other. You need to be able to call somebody. You need to hang out. I love when, you know, yesterday, again, I was only here for a little while, but just to see everybody together, everybody in rhythm, you know, trying to get stuff done. It blessed me. I went home blessed thinking, you know, that's what the church is. Nobody had an agenda. We're just trying to get this thing for, you know, get this thing done right. That is the fellowship. And the other, you know, let me knock this down. Discipleship. You need the ecclesia because here's where you learn. And I tell people, you know, don't, don't take this in the wrong way, but you really cannot afford to miss a Sunday. Because all the messages are plugged up. You know, they're all like, I'm saying, don't, you, know, you, don't, you know, if you watch it on Facebook Live, okay. But I'm saying you really cannot afford to miss the rhythm of what the ecclesia is bringing because this is the discipleship. I remember, you know, a lot of churches are very, very structured. Nothing wrong with that. We're, we're a little more loose in this area. But I remember a lot of pastors would ask me, says, what's your discipleship program for your church? And that's the thing, you know, you have like Sunday school and you have... And I'm thinking, discipleship program is called Sunday morning. Come to church. <laughs> You'll get discipled, right? But you need discipleship. Disciple means... The, the word discipleship is a, it's a cool word because it has a couple things. It means imitate the teacher... It also has the word discipline. I know you guys don't like that word. But, you know, church teaches you discipline. Before I got born again, you ask Monique about this, time was just a concept. It was an idea, a vague idea. If somebody said it's, the meeting starts at 10, that's just a vague idea. If 
I show up at 11, if I don't show up, I could care less about time. I'm just using this as a joke. Time to me was completely insignificant, unless I had to go to work because I had to punch a card. Then it was very significant. But other than that, I could care less. Well, when I got saved, one of the first things, well, there's two things that God really fixed in my life. And one of them, I think he's still working on. I'm just being completely transparent right now. One of them was that one. Be on time. That's not a big one, Pastor. Well, it was so big, it's obsessive. In my family, everybody's like, yeah, don't let me. But you know what? My kids got picked up on it. Now, they're like that, which is good, you know. The other one was cussing. I look at the giggle. Because, you know, when you hit, you know, I'm in the contractor business. Joe knows this. When you hit yourself with a hammer, Jesus doesn't, the word Jesus doesn't really help with the pain. You need a mm, word. I'm just messing with y'all. I would cuss. I, and then, you know, coming from Mexico, stuff that I found out in South Texas, they don't know what it's about. I, my head was filled with something in Mexico called el albur. You know what I say? That everything is, is double meaning, but, but it's so clean, you can't even tell it's double meaning. When I come up here, coming from Mexico, I thought they were the same. I just gave up because nobody had understood it, you know. But it was bad stuff, you know. It was just dirty, nasty stuff. But it was all double meaning. Everything I talked was double meaning. And if you didn't know what was going on, I would eat your lunch, man. I mean, it was, because in Mexico, you better know what's going on. Because people were working, they were always throwing stuff at you. Double meaning, double meaning, double meaning. <laughs> so those are the two first things that God got out of my life. And then the third one, you want a big one? Lying. I know, nobody lies. Because it was just easier to lie than to say the truth. The problem with lying, you've got to remember all your lies. That's pretty hard. So you got this, all this is happening in what we call discipleship. And that's why you're here this morning. You know, when you leave this building, maybe the message is not relevant to what God told you to fix, but the fact that you were here and he told you to fix something, that's what's relevant. Have you ever come to church and heard a sermon, but the sermon did have nothing to do with what God told you? Let's be honest. You came and you heard something, you looked at the car, you're thinking about, wow, maybe I do need to be nicer to my dog or something. You know, I don't know. I'm just being silly. But God will speak to you in this environment. So when you come to church, it's not just about the message. God can minister to you through the praise. God can minister to you through so many avenues. But it's all discipleship. You have to come to get disciple. Again, now with all days, you know, all the technology, you know, you have to be physically present. But I have discovered that a lot of times when I was doing it during COVID and all this, it's really hard to stay focused on a Facebook Live. Are you, do you agree with that? I mean, it's just so hard. I mean, you... Because, you know, there's 10,000 things else to do, right? So you got Facebook Live going, but you got your iPad on the side, so you're scrolling through Amazon. While, uh, yeah. So I recommend come to church. And those of you that are watching along, we have people from all over America that, don't, that, aren't, that aren't here, but I understand. I'm sure that you guys sit down. Make church your house, right? If this is your experience with Facebook Live, then make sure it becomes a church experience. Just sit down. Shut all the distractions down and get the word because we need to be discipled. We, you know, every time, I'm, guys, you think by 30 years I would have it together? I don't. I come to church, I say things to you, and then I'm thinking all the way back home, you need to fix that, you need to fix that, you need to fix that, you need to fix that. And then if I let myself go crazy, and I'm, then I start judging myself. You hypocrite, you told him to do this, you don't even do that. Hello, welcome to Kelvin Box's mind, right? So, felt, so once again, you know, do we need this? Is the ecclesia, it's a place of worship. The ecclesia is where relationships are built. The ecclesia is where discipleship comes. And this is where it starts getting exciting. Ecclesia is where ministry happens. The word ministry simply means to give. That's all it means, it's just to give. 
Everybody. Look at the, look, look at the instructions in Ephesians. My job as a pastor is not to do everything. Hello, y'all still out there? It says my job is to train you, to teach you and 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 you, all of you, to do the work of the ministry. To go feed the poor, to go bless the people, to go minister to the kids, to, to talk to that person that's been abused, to heal the broken heart, to bring that drug addict to a place where they can be cleaned up. That's not just, that's not the pastor's job. That's y'all's job. That's everybody. All the time, everywhere. God, it's so quiet. That's ministry. God is calling. That's why I'm saying you are qualified. The, the, the moment you say, Jesus, I need you, he says, boom, qualified. Well, I need to go to Bible school. Okay, that's secondary. Qualified. You don't need a Bible school for this. Are you kidding me? Some of the most powerful men of God that I've ever been around never ever stepped in a Bible school. You just need to be available. And this is where your life really begins to take meaning. You know, I left that little thing meaning? Because your meaning is not about, well, what is my meaning of life? That doesn't even matter. What is God's meaning for life? That becomes your purpose. And pretty soon now, now, you know, one day you're sitting here in little old Heavenville, and the next day you're traveling with me to Ukraine for some reason. Now you are in missions. Those are the purpose of a church. We are here to worship. We are here to fellowship. We are here to discipleship. We are here to give. The word ministry means give. Give ourselves. Lay our life down. Be a blessing wherever you are. Include stripes, and especially where people are ugly, be a blessing, right? But the last one is a church with a mission. And guess what? This is not my mission. This is our mission. The Ecclesia as a global church has a very simple mission. Very simple mission. To bring the light to the world. The light is Jesus. Without being weird, without being crazy, without being fanatical. But to just to bring hope to it. To that's the mission. And how we do it, it doesn't matter. If we do it through VBS, if we do it through whatever we do, that still is what's driving us. We don't do VBS just because we've got to entertain kids. We believe, and we've done it for many, many, many years, is that there's a seed going to be planted in one of these kids someday. And when that seed is critical for it, that's what I'm saying, you know, if your kids go off to college, they go crazy for a while, believe in the seed. Believe in the seed. Trust that you planted something. And that is what we do. Mission. So when I say missions... Don't just think Cuba. Don't just think Navajo Nation. Don't just think Ukraine or Mexico, the things that we do. Mission is right outside that door. I mean, as soon as, you know, I believe it was Lakewood when John Osteen, I don't know, I haven't been there. When John Osteen, um, Joel's dad had, there was a sign outside the exit door. It says, welcome to the mission field. Maybe we should do that, right? Welcome to the mission field. Well, I want to go to Cuba. Hey, start by going across the street. Then I'll take you to Cuba. Well, Pastor... No, no, it's not about, again, how can I put it? Mission is the fact that it's in there. It's not, because sometimes we get so mission-oriented that we're like, well, I, I, no, no, you are on mission all the time. And it is really fun to watch this work. I love this stuff. I mean, I don't is it because you're a pastor? No. I love, in a good way, messing with people, you know, in restaurants and stuff, because I'm always on a mission. And I'm always trying to find a reason how I can open the door to see how they're doing. Just to start with how they're doing. You're, 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 well, I need to bring that person to Jesus. Yeah, you will, but be real. 
You know, people start, you know, that is how Texas, well, in Mexico, especially in Mexico, you can't, you can't just say, ¿Este conoces a Jesús? Because they're going to say, oh, sí, Jesús Pérez. You know, we can't do that in Mexico because there's a lot of Jesuses. So, you know, don't be that weird evangelical that, you know, as soon as, boy, you, you want to talk something that, I don't know where I ran across this. I guess it was on Facebook or somewhere, but it, it, it did hurt me. So this waitress comes up and um, she's, she's bashing these Christians because they left her no tip, which is fine. I mean, but she says, but look what they left me. And she picks up a track and I said, that's so embarrassing for us. Oh, my God. You know, you want to get somebody to Jesus. So, so you, you know, these, these people don't make the same amount of money. So you don't give them a tip, and then you leave a Christian track? Are you kidding me? I would not want to be a Christian if you did that to me. I would become an atheist if you did that to me, you know? Just because that's not who we are. Come on, people. It's about blessing. It's about growing. It's about you wanted to reach out for her. You should have given her a $100 tip. Then she's going to listen to what you got to say. Say, I got $100. You got five minutes? And she said, I got all day. She'll sit down there and talk to you all day. You just paid for her whole week. Are you kidding me? Mission is always on. And I encourage you this week to be sensitive to this. Because, you know, you said, Pastor, I came, you know, I thought the message was going to deal with you. I'm dealing with this thing at home. This is what we're dealing with. The sooner you get in rhythm, you will begin to see in your, things in your life, at the very least, become manageable. If not fixed, manageable. Because some of you are in situations in your life today that they're not manageable. You feel like you've lost control over it. And, and, and it. and it could very, very well be real that you have lost control. But I'm just saying, just come to Jesus. Make yourself available. He might not tell you to do anything for a while. But just by sitting in that place, you become part of this corporate anointing that I've been talking about. Yes, God loves you in your very own individual way, and he will take care of you. There's no reason why he wouldn't. But I'm talking about moving into a mindset about living with meaning. And purpose. Because every opportunity, you know, we, we lock God into these little four walls. God is not going to be locked into a church. And sometimes the greatest glory that I've seen is some of the darkest places that you can imagine. Places that people don't want to go to. RJ's back there. He knows when we used to go to Coyotera in Monterrey, the red light district. H has been there. That's a dark, dark place. The cops wouldn't even go in there. I would drive in in a brand new expedition full of food. With two little kids and a chihuahua dog. <laughs> and all these people, all these drug addicts and prostitutes, they would help us unload the food and we would feed them and they would have church. And then across the street was a little church. And next to the church was the prostitutes' houses and transvestites and the whole thing. Very, very dark. And you talk about the glory. Remember that age, those places? That service, <laughs> I was thinking about it during praise and worship because I know something glitched there and you guys probably didn't pick it up. But that was thinking about it, and I, Kathy, I could see what she's stressing out, right? And I'm thinking, and I thought about that service. Remember that, RJ? That one lady with that guitar? She sang the whole thing with one note. Right? She never changed it. She, she sang like a whole, like 30 minutes of worship with one note. She's just worshiping Jesus completely. Oh, and not only one note, the guitar was out of tune, so it didn't even matter if it was one note. I didn't count the strings. might have been a couple strings missing, too. Who knows? But I'm telling you, it was such a lesson of, because of, of, we want everything perfect. It was such a lesson about what worship is to me. It was horrible. In every form of the definition, the worship was horrible, but God received it. And he showed up in that little church, 
Boy, did we have church. We had we were casting devils out of people. It was crazy. But it was exciting to see what we think is important is not that important. What God thinks is important, you saw it that day. Because, you know, she worshiped with so much heart, she invited his presence. And once that presence hit, it got exciting. So let me finish with this. We are all on a mission. Give me the last one, RJ. I think it's the last one. And I'll leave you with this. Romans 8, 28. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because I can spend a lot of time on this one. And we know that God causes everything to work together. How many want everything to work together? Just say, yes, I want everything to work together for the good of those who love God. You ready? That's a beautiful scripture. I know it's been preached out of context. You know, somebody breaks their legs and they say, well, like, it's all worked out for good. That's not what it's for. <laughs> That's not what it's for. They are called according to his purpose. Pay attention to the last scripture. For them. His purpose. And he turns it right back around and gives it to you. For them. Stand to your feet this morning. I hope you got something out of all that this morning. And I want to pray for you. And, and again, really think about this. Because we are... You know, we are, we are lining up this thing, and, and, you know, we need all hands on deck. But it's not about trying to get anybody to say, well, you know what, maybe I should serve. More of anything, it's just to find your place in this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. And once you find your place, all the competition is over, all the jealousy is over, all the, you know, power trips are over. How come they know? You find your place, and that's your place of blessing. That's your place of peace. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the word. And, and Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us in so many ways about this. And, Father, this never, ever, ever is going to get old. We are excited about what we do. And I pray right now, Father, for all those that are listening. If there's anybody in this room that that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior, if there's anybody listening online that you don't know Jesus, this is very simple. It's not a, a weird, deep thing. It just simply says, invite him into your life. He will never... The Spirit of God will never invade your life unless he's invited. Now, he'll influence your life. He'll poke at it here and there. And maybe you're there. Maybe there's things in your life that God's been trying to get your attention. I don't know why I'm saying this. Maybe somebody here, you know, you said, well, this happened the other day, and that happened. The other. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. And now he has you in this church building, or he has you listening on Facebook Live. So I want everybody to pray this prayer. If that's you and you're ready to commit to God, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I stand before you. As a sinner that needs grace. That's it. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, even those I don't remember. And I invite you into my life as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Lord, that today my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I am born again. I am a believer. Amen. All right. Now that means you're saved. Let me finish my prayer because I was right in the middle. This is my prayer for you now that we are all on the same place. Very simple prayer. Father, my prayer for this church is anybody that the storms of life have come, we get in agreement as the ecclesia. If that's you, or that, you know, if you need prayer for anything, just lift up a hand. You know, this is just an agreement thing. I got my hand up. I got lots of prayers that we need. But here's the the power. The ecclesia is going to get in agreement with you. Every one of you, even watching online. We speak life over every sickness and disease, every diagnostic that has come. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus over every child that is running from God. Father, that there, maybe there's a son or a daughter that is not 
walking. Father, we call them. We call them back into the things of God. I pray for every mom, Father, right now in the name of Jesus that doesn't know where their kids are or doesn't know what they're doing, that the peace of God comes in now, knowing that blessed is the fruit of their womb, and those children will serve the Lord. I thank you, Father, right now for people that have financial situations that are complicated or that they can't see the way out. Father, I pray to to you, God, that you would open heaven and show them the way and give them the answers, Father. But, Father, the main thing I want to pray right now, the last thing is, that as a church, Father, we never lose our reason to be. We never lose our purpose. And, Father, for those that are here this morning, that listen to this message, and that, are, and that are figuring out what their part is, Father, that you will speak to them this very week to connect at some level, Father, to the amazing things that you're doing. And I pray blessings upon blessings upon their life, Father. No weapon formed against them will prosper in any way. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said... Amen. We'll give the Lord a big hand clap, if you will, this morning. God bless you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Glory to God. You may be seated. Sorry, if you got standing. With that in mind, I just want to, want to share a real, real quick thing I shared at, in um, the Navajo Reservation before I pick up this morning's offering. And don't, don't go digging in your offering yet. You know, money, even within a church, and every, money, money anywhere, really, without a purpose is really, how can I put it? It's not, worth, it's not worth anything. In other words, if you have a lot of money and it doesn't have a purpose, then it's just in there, right? You know, it feeds you, buys you toys, whatever. But there has to be a deeper sense. And, and the idea I want to I pull out, it's not even about money. <laughs> That's what's cool about it. When you go to some of the poorest places, you know, and I'm not going to say, you know, Navajo Nation is not the poorest place I've been, but it's up there, you know, it's... It's amazing that in America, we see Cuba, that we do, and that's not good. But you preach these things, and you see people, and you've seen, you know, we've been over there almost 24 years, and, and I've watched people prosper, Elson and his family, and, and you see that this stuff works. We're seeing it in our church in Cuba, you know, with our work with Yoel. Um, 2014, when I went, walked in that building with no windows, no walls, and now we've got Probably the, the only church, I haven't been there, so the, the, you guys have been there, the ones that went before, um, last month. A church with an air conditioning building? Are you kidding me? I have not been to one church in Cuba in however many years I've been going that has an air conditioning. They had fans and they had all kinds of stuff, but not an air conditioning. Well, our church has an air conditioning system. So you see this stuff work in the poorest places. But the heart of it was never just the money. And this is, I wanna, I wanna, I'm kind of finishing my message with the offering, but I'm going to show you that it's not even about money. Second Corinthians, go there with me. Second Corinthians chapter 8. I'm just going to pull one thing out of the top of this. And it talks about the Macedonians. And um, I probably should pull out a different translation. But in verse 3, Second Corinthians 8 verse 3 says, for, their, for, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Praying with us in much entreaty, we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship and the ministering of the saints. Verse 5 is where I want to get to. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. Now, that's all I want you to hear. Now, let me give you a crash teaching on who the Macedonians were. Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Very rich church, historically speaking. It's in Greek. Grecian church, you know, Greek was the happening area of its time. 
he's writing to the rich people. <laughs> this is hilarious because I, I always say, I would love to have the audacity that Paul has. Because imagine if I was in, in you know, like, like I was in Arizona for two weeks. Imagine if last Sunday, Kathy would have stood up here and said, oh, by the way, Pastor Box sent you guys a letter. <laughs> Same thing. And in the letter, he's saying, make sure you have the offering ready when he gets there. Some of you are like, oh, I'm never coming back to this church. That's exactly what Paul said. He's telling the Corinthians, he says, I don't want to go there and spend a lot of time trying to pick up money. Now, the money he was picking up wasn't for him. It was for the relief of the Jews, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem that were so heavily persecuted. So he was sending money to missions. Isn't that cool? And he mentions the Macedonians. Who are the Macedonians? Very poor church, very poor region. It's a region, actually, not a city. The church is in Macedonia. So the, the, the thing was, there were still his churches, and they knew what was happening in Jerusalem. For example, you might be going through a hard time right now. So, Pastor, right now I can't even make my bills. I say, well, yeah, but let me tell you what's happening in Cuba. They're like, whoa, that's pretty serious. So when he told the Macedonians the need, they, they didn't have any. They were in extreme, the Bible says extreme poverty. For a first century writer to call something extreme poverty when most of the world was impoverished, <laughs> that would have been pretty extreme. And he calls them and he tells the Corinthians, the rich church, remember that. He says, guys, the Macedonians, which don't have any money, they gave this amazing offering for our, for our brothers in Israel. But the very first, the reason they were able to do this, and this is the only point I'm going to make, and this is about purpose, and it's about meaning, and it's about the ecclesia, is they first gave themselves. When you decide to connect to what God's doing, money becomes secondary. Because there's this trust thing, right? <laughs> trust me, I can tell you a lot of trust stories on this one. Because do you believe God? You know, do you believe this is his purpose? Do you believe? So why would God ask you to sow something and let you hang it out to dry? Because if, if, if you think that way, you shouldn't give any money. The only other way you can think is purpose, right? Is this church... Or what? Or let me not put the church. Is the mission of Faithway worthy of your finances? I'm not. No. Don't put a bunch of zeros to it. It would be nice if it came with a lot of zeros. Just you know, this is the idea. The next question you ask yourself, because that's what the Macedonians understood, was, you know, I'm, I mean, I want to word it into 21st century language, maybe. What's the benefit? Now the Macedonians didn't have that. They knew the benefit. But a lot of times it's, why do I give to a church? Well, what do you take back? So, you know, you drop money in the offering bucket, sow your seed, tithe, whatever. You should get something out of it. You agree with that? Come on, just say amen. I know you guys aren't going to say amen to anything I say, but just say amen right now. The less amens I get, the longer I talk. Amen, pastor. So y'all better start amening real quick because we've got like five minutes left. Amen. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you start hacking right now, man. You get going. So the question now, is my life better because the church is involved in my life? As a whole, not pastor box, the whole thing. Your kids are being prayed for over there. Your babies are being tended to in a very secure environment. We're doing a lot of things to bless your kids. We're restructuring our youth program. We're here for you if you ever need prayer. So that's that exchange. You see it? That's a partnership. Because if the church is not worth it to you, then why would you even invest in it? So very simple. 
when you decide to give yourself into something, the money is not even an issue anymore. Because I, you know, I've, I've gone through the phases. Oh, church was awesome until the pastor says, time to pick up an offering. <laughs> I know, it sounds, it's always about money. It's always about money. It's always about money. Well, your life is always about money, so why are you judging us? Those li- electricity costs us about $1,200 a month. Are you, are you nice and cool? So, yes, it is about money. How much did our, your trip cost you on these? $14,000 to go to Cuba? Más o menos? It is about money. But those $14,000 are not just dollars. They represent children's lives to me. So they were worth every penny, right? So now you begin to see how the exchange works. I'll shut up on that one. So just put value on everything. Put value on what this church offers to you. And then by then, you can respond appropriately. So anyhow, do what you need to do. Again, thank you guys for all your support. And again, I'm excited. If you're staying for our leadership meeting, we'll have it um, soon right after this one. And everyone's welcome to go, by the way. It's not an enclosed secret meeting, it's, but it is tailored to all the leadership of the church. But you're welcome to go. So go ahead and stand with me. I'll get you out of here. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, after today's meeting, we'll have some more information next Sunday about some of the different changes. Again, don't, nobody be worried. There's no radical changes. Just trying to get the thing moving again. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the seed that's sown in love. And, Father, just like the Macedonians, Father, before any money is exchanged in this building, Father, we want to make sure we have given ourselves to you, Lord. And whatever you ask, whatever you place in our hearts to do, Lord, we just want to be simple in our obedience, not complicated by overthinking it. But I thank you, Lord, for the vision. I thank you for the future. I thank you for the, the end of this year as we move into the fall, into what we have plans for the, the remainder part of this year, that this church will be filled with your glory. I pray for signs, wonders, and miracles in everyone's life. Until I see him again, I pray the peace of God that passeth all understanding go with them wherever they go in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well.